Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's the outcome everyone had been hoping for. More than 50 hours after she went missing in Golden Ears Park, Esther Wang was found safe. But as Travis Prasad reports, there are still more questions than answers about how the team got separated from her friends. She actually, thankfully, was unharmed. Uh, aside from some mosquito bites, she is safe. Hard to believe that could be the case for anyone lost for multiple days here in the wilderness. But around 9.30 Thursday night, 16-year-old Esther Wang walked out of the same trail she disappeared from 54 hours earlier. She was assessed by BC Ambulance at the scene and released to her family that same evening. On Tuesday afternoon, Wang and three others in a youth hiking group were on the East Canyon Trail at Golden Ears Park when she became separated from the group. She had food and water, but there was virtually no cell service. 16 search agencies from across the south coast launched an extensive search with helicopter and drone support. At some points, there's over 50 volunteers in, in the field searching this area. If you leave the trails, you end up in some pretty thick, dense brush. Looking for anyone in these conditions would be extremely challenging, whether that's from the air or the ground. It's very steep and it's very thick forestation, which did obviously hamper the search efforts. Searchers haven't spoken to Wang yet, so they aren't sure how she managed to get out. They say she might have been found sooner if she stayed put, but she did most things right. If she'd remained where, where she was, the group did return to, to that area. She did appear, stop, and we like, and then think, orientated herself and planned accordingly. And it took quite a while to get out, but she is out and she's safe and well. Wang and her family are now asking for privacy, but there are still unanswered questions, like how she became separated from her hiking group. We'll be looking into all the facts and speaking to all the parties that were a part of the hike, but also Esther herself. Meanwhile, dozens of volunteer search crews are breathing a sigh of relief. Which again is the best outcome we could hope for. Travis Prasad, Global News. Anyone hoping to get to Victoria by ferry without a reservation is likely out of luck. By late this afternoon, all sailings between Tawasan and Swartz Bay sold out. Richard Zussman reports on the failures of BC ferries and the apology. They are lines longer than the eye can see. Passengers without reservations waiting to get on a ferry between Tawasin and Swartz Bay. We are here for 20 years. I'm going back and forth and I never see like this before. I asked him, is it probably three to four hours? And she said, hopefully. By 11 a.m., those standing by were told it was a sixth sailing wait on BC Ferry's busiest route. By 1.30 p.m., all of the drive-on spots for the day were full. BC Ferries forced a scramble on the long weekend after the coastal celebration was stuck on the dock longer than expected for repairs. It's just annoying to come so early to try and get on a ferry well, it, at a reasonable it's, it's, time. It's a nice and then... day. BC Ferries made the decision not to put on late night sailings for the route 
because of staff burnout. Over the past few months, the company hiring lots of new workers, but it's still not enough. It's very important that we uh, think about crew fatigue because we would be asking our crews to be working a 13-hour day, and then those crews are scheduled to come back tomorrow. On Thursday night, travellers waiting it out for hours to then be told there were no more sailings for drive-ons, and they would get on Friday eventually. And the odds, according to the ferry list lady, of getting on the early one in the morning, even if you're the first one through the gate, is highly unlikely. So that's kind of a kind of souring. The provincial government says the waits are unacceptable and vowing to do better. People who uh, are going to have a stressful uh, travel weekend on BC ferries, I understand that and uh, we're going to do better. We certainly apologize to our customers. This wasn't the way we had planned the long weekend. And with this just being the start of the long weekend, the suggestion for those making the return trip is to avoid traveling on Monday, where they will no doubt wait. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. BC Ferry said yesterday it carried out about 5,300 vehicles and 20,000 passengers on that Tawasson-Swartz Bay route. On the major routes like Tawasson-Swartz Bay, 80% of its customers are making reservations at peak times. And BC Ferry says the Canada Day long weekend is its second busiest after the August long weekend. And for the latest, what's going on at the Tawasson Ferry Terminal, we'll bring in Troy Charles right now. Troy What's the rest of the evening look like for people parked there? Yeah, Chris, well, it's actually quite calm here at the moment at the ticketing booth here at the Tawasson Terminal. It seems residents have got the message from BC Ferries, which was basically, if you don't have a reservation and you're not walking on, you are out of luck. Right now to Swartz Bay, the 6 p.m. sold out, 7 p.m. sold out, 9 p.m. and final sailing also sold out. And the 5 p.m. to Swartz Bay, it just left at 5.40 p.m. after a long time a long delay and we also can't forget the website outages around six outages over the last three days including multiple outages today and a recent tweet from bc ferries says we are experiencing intermittent slowness on our schedule pages and online booking system which may continue throughout the long weekend and chris we know it's no easy job but that phrase there intermittent slowness kind of sums up the bc ferry operation as of late does it ever. All right, that's Troy Charles in Tawasson. Thanks very much, Troy. Slow going for travelers this weekend for sure. The province says it will build a new Belleville International Terminal to handle ferry traffic coming from the United States. The announcement happened this morning in Victoria. The $303 million project was actually announced last year. That's B.C.'s contribution, but B.C. was waiting on a contribution from Ottawa before moving ahead. Transportation Minister Rob Fleming says the new development will bring about economic opportunities and generate hundreds of new jobs. Going to, when completed, uh, generate uh, significant annual economic activity, sustain and grow more jobs uh, in our community. It's also going to future-proof the tourism industry uh, by, uh, and support the families and businesses in this community who depend upon ferry travel. The project is expected to be completed in 2028, and we'll keep going with the marine theme here for a moment. The good news is two sides are still talking, but we are just hours away from strike action that would paralyze B.C.'s ports. Workers from the International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada will be in a legal position to strike as of 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. 
According to the Federal Minister of Labor, the union and the employer are still at the bargaining table. There's a mediator involved. An agreement has been reached, thankfully, to allow cruise ships to be serviced in Vancouver, Prince Rupert, and on Vancouver Island. A half billion dollars worth of goods flows through B.C. ports every day. Homicide investigators have now identified the man killed in a home invasion in, a Bur in Burnaby yesterday. The integrated homicide investigation team says the victim is 19-year-old Ryan Nagy. IHIT believes he was killed in a targeted incident. RCMP were called to the 7600 block of 17th Avenue near Canada Way around 7 o'clock yesterday morning. A woman was also found in the home. She was taken to hospital with injuries. IHIT is asking anyone with information to please come forward. Seven trees in an Asoyuz park will likely die after suspected poisoning. A staff member discovered the vandalism at Goodman Park near Osuyas Lakes on Wednesday. And in a press release, the town wrote the trees had several holes drilled into them. City staff believe the poison was inserted. I've never heard of anything like this. I've heard of a, a few trimmings here and there, but I've never heard of actually drilling holes into mature 30 to 40 year old trees and uh, with the intent to actually destroy them. It's unknown why the trees were targeted. However, the town does say each spring the trees release cotton, which can be a nuisance and an allergen for some. Forestry used to be BC big, uh, BC's biggest industry, but over the past couple of decades, 100 mills around the province have been shut down and thousands of workers have lost their jobs. And in part three of his series, Paul Johnson looks at what so, some former mill towns are doing to keep people from and attract new residents. This pile has caught on fire more than once. On the outskirts of Mackenzie, there is a small mountain of sawdust that no one currently knows what to do with. Birds have even made nests in it. It's among the many relics here of a forest industry that has collapsed since its heyday. This month is uh, the four-year anniversary of the beginning of the downfall. So Mayor Joan Atkinson is frank about what's happened here, but certain about one thing. Mackenzie is not going the way of ghost town. We have great wide open spaces up here and fabulous recreation. And so, you know, we have a bright future. One look at postcard perfect Morphy Lake gives a hint at future possibilities. And some of the best bargains in BC are here in the form of their well-built housing stock, soon to be served by high-speed internet. So how about this for a mountain biking adventure? This is a ridgeline trail network just outside of town. The city is promoting this in an effort to diversify more into tourism. It's one of the things that you can do, but you need a lot of tourists to make up for those forestry jobs. Which likely means doing something big with those abandoned industrial sites. Already a Bitcoin miner has come to town, drawn by the abundant power freed up by those closed mills. But it's only a handful of jobs. What people here really want is for the province to reinstate an old rule that said timber cut in one region had to be processed there. Two-thirds of the cut in this community heads down the highway to be processed somewhere else. The rule that helped prevent that was called a pertinency. It was ended by the B.C. Liberals, and though the NDP has made some noises about revisiting it, when we talked to Forests Minister Bruce Ralston, 
it didn't sound like bringing it back was any kind of priority. I think that's something that I'd be, I, I, I'm aware of, I'd be willing to consider, uh, but unfortunately in many ways the forest industry has moved on. It's a quaint little town. So Mackenzie must move on as well. Driving into town, the first thing you see here is the massive tree crusher that literally carved the town out of the forest in the 60s. A fitting metaphor for the job ahead, but one they've done before. In McKenzie, Paul Johnson, Global News. The controversial Lonzo Road encampment in Abbotsford has now been cleared. About 15 people had been living on the site in an assortment of old tents, RVs, and other structures. As many as 100 had lived there over the years. The encampment had become a major public safety concern, though, requiring a number of emergency responses every day for violent incidents, overdoses, and fires. A $4 million, 50-unit temporary shelter is going to be built on the site, and it is set to open up by the end of the year. The first Canadian museum dedicated to Chinese-Canadian history opened its doors in Vancouver's Chinatown this morning. The Chinese-Canadian Museum will be open to the public tomorrow, marking the anniversary of a controversial 1923 law that put a stop to Chinese immigration for decades. The museum's board chair says the date was chosen as a reminder of a part of Canadian history that's often overlooked. Its first exhibition will be the paper trail to the 1923 Chinese Exclusion Act, which showcases documents issued to Chinese Canadians to highlight their segregated status. We've got three different exhibitions on. We've got the intro gallery, which is a timeline of Chinese Canadian migration. And we have our feature exhibition where I'm standing right now. It is called the paper trail and it is all about the Chinese Immigration Act. And upstairs on the third floor, we have our Yip period rooms where you're transported back into the 1920s. So there's a lot to see and there's a lot for everybody to experience. The province provided about $28 million in funding to help acquire the historic Wing Sang building, which is the facility's permanent location now. Federal Minister Harjit Sajjan announced an additional $10 million in funding for the PNE. The future of the PNE has been kind of shaky, with audience falling by 65% during the pandemic. Sajjan says the funding will help the fair drive economic growth, tourism, and jobs. The money will go towards upgrading infrastructure there, including construction of a brand new roller coaster and fixing up the PNE's historic wooden roller coaster. These investments will support lighting upgrades and digital signage throughout the festival grounds. Uh, new sensory parts to uh, neurodiverse guests will make the experience more uh, rich for them. The refurbishment of the historic wooden roller coaster, which is behind me, so that's going to be extremely exciting. And I'm really excited about this, and I saw the, the pieces in the, the background uh, there, a construction of a brand new roller coaster, which is going to be very exciting for everyone. The money is coming from the Tourism Relief Fund. Lytton rising from the ashes. I think there is a more positive attitude than there has been, but I think two years has made us a little skeptical and a little cautious. Two years to the day after their village burned down during the heat dome, members of the community gathered to learn more about an important stage of the rebuild now just days away. That's next on the News Hour. We really need support and um, just, just with even little tasks.
Summer camp for young people with special needs in danger of cutting programs. The plush accommodation they're offering to lure the nurses they need later on the news hour. And an added bonus to a beautiful beach day in Vancouver. An orca sighting coming up later. Right now, though, today marks two years since a wildfire tore through Lytton, killing two people and destroying most of the homes and businesses in the village. Lytton residents came together today to mark that day, and as Kylie Stanton shows us, there's a renewed sense of optimism with assurances the work to rebuild will start soon. Doing dishes in the sink with no running water can only be described one way. It's like camping. Like camping. But living like this day in, day out takes a toll. We're doing okay. But it's a long two years, a very long two years. <laughs> Still, Shirley Dean is well aware she is one of the few lucky ones. We watch one house after another burn. It's just... Go! This is the moment that now defines the before and after. Oh, my God, look at that. June 30th, 2021. The day fire ripped through the village of Lytton, turning the once vibrant community to rubble. Two lives were lost. Hundreds of properties destroyed. But the big question now... What's happened? Lots has happened, yet nothing has happened. The first phase of recovery involved remediation and archaeological reports. Now utilities and services are being installed. And while building permit applications are coming in, not a single one has been issued. You know, we commonly have heard just the frustration that people have and the anger they've had. The slowness of everything has been so difficult for people. But meeting today here at the Parish Hall, one of the only buildings to survive the fire, marks not only the anniversary, but a milestone. As the community walks the village streets, they move forward together from recovery to rebuild. It's very hopeful. Turning the dirt with a shovel signals a new beginning. We are strong of heart. The sense of optimism, palpable. We're actually celebrating that there is a path forward now. The local state of emergency that's been in place since the fire broke out was lifted just last week. RCMP says the investigation into what happened is still active and ongoing. And in a joint statement, the Premier and Minister of Emergency Management said, we remain committed to working diligently until everyone sees a pathway to returning home. Remember looking at the fire? With backfilling of these burned out properties set to get underway as early as next week, that's finally feeling like a real possibility. We'll persevere. Kelly Stanton, yeah. Global News. Coming up, a landmark ruling in the United States that some say gives businesses the right to discriminate. But first, four years after its deadly missile strike on a civilian jet full of Canadians, an attempt to make Iran pay for it. Well, this just happened in Delta. It's a tipped over semi here on Highway 17 eastbound just before the 91 connector. Crews are already on scene. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a tipped over semi in Delta. All options are still on the table to restore peace in France. 
After another night of unrest, protesters lit fires, shot fireworks and looted stores as tensions grow over the fatal police shooting of a 17-year-old. Schools, town halls and police stations have all been targeted by demonstrators. French President Emmanuel Macron left the European Union summit in Brussels early to return to Paris for an emergency security meeting. The government has stopped short of declaring a state of emergency, but that could come at any time. The shooting down of flight PS752 shocked the world. All on board were killed, the majority Canadian citizens and permanent residents. Iran has been reluctant to cooperate with the investigation and has missed a critical deadline. And now Canada and other countries are trying to have Iran held accountable. And as Negar Mojtahedi reports, the idea of justice is helping families deal with their unimaginable grief. An image that speaks of the unthinkable pain the families of PS752 live with. The mother of UBC postdoctoral fellow Mehran Abtahi grasping a photo of her late son killed when Iran shot down the passenger plane with two surface-to-air missiles. It was a mystery that soon was revealed as a Canadian tragedy. Everyone on board, dead. 176 people, most of them calling Canada their home, including Mehran's brother, Vancouver resident Arman Abtahi. I don't remember much afterwards. I called my parents, but we were not talking. We were just on the line, silent. The paralysis of grief transformed into action. Canada, Ukraine, Sweden and the UK taking Iran to the International Court of Justice in The Hague. The four countries announcing the move Thursday after the deadline passed for Iran to submit arbitration under the Montreal Convention. It's a long journey, but this is one step closer to the justice. Justice is what Surrey resident Shahrokh Ferdowsi also seeks. There's only one thing that makes us feel better. When we can find the Islamic regime guilty. He lost his cousin on that doomed flight. And at least this way we can force them to come forward and answer the, uh, the questions of why did they do this. Canada's Minister of Foreign Affairs tweeting impunity is not an option for the Iranian regime. Incidentally, Iran also began a claim against Canada at the International Court of Justice, arguing that Canada hasn't respected Iran's state immunity. These families might finally get a modicum of justice, not full justice, but a modicum of justice in an international forum fills me with hope, but it also is a, is a tragedy that this many people had to die. Iranian-Canadian lawyer Kaveh Shahruz is now dedicated to helping the families of PS752 find justice. Shahruz also has a personal reason for pursuing the case. My uncle in the 1980s was arrested at a very young age and executed after suffering horrendous torture and not having anything resembling due process. The families finding comfort in their efforts to hold Iran accountable at the world court. Flight 752 families won't relent as they keep pushing for justice. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. On this final day of Pride Month in the U.S., the highest court in that country has officially made it easier for businesses to refuse service to same-sex couples. It ruled today in favor of a Colorado website designer who says both her religious and free speech rights would be infringed upon if she had to design a site for a same-sex couple, protecting her from that state's anti-discrimination law. But as Reggie Cicchini shows us, critics are hitting back at the core of this case. 
The conservative majority at the United States Supreme Court appears to have handed businesses a right to discriminate. Whether you share my beliefs or completely disagree with them, free speech is for everyone. On Friday, the bench sided with Lori Smith, a graphic designer from Colorado, who claimed the state's laws compelling businesses to serve everyone, including same-sex couples, violated her freedoms of speech and religion. Even though she's never actually designed a wedding website, and it's unclear if a same-sex couple's request was ever made. This radical opinion is far out of step of the will of the American people and our values as Americans. In his opinion, Justice Neil Gorsuch called the First Amendment a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. But legal experts argue it sets up a slippery slope. What the justices seem to be doing, responding to a marriage equality decision that they didn't support. This case bears similarities to a 2018 case when a Colorado baker refused to make a cake for a same-sex couple. The biblical teaching on on marriage is pretty clear. The court narrowly sided with the baker, which opened the door for a further reduction of rights for protected people. Constitutional watchdogs argued then and now that public accommodation laws don't pose a risk to the First Amendment. I'm worried that that we won't be able to cabin the damage from that decision because I think uh, there are lots of companies that can claim to have expressive elements to their goods and services. The White House criticized Friday's ruling, fearing it could invite more discrimination. The bill is passed. As it coincides with a series of laws from Republican legislators targeting the rights of LGBTQ people. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. Up next, help wanted at Zajac Ranch. Yeah, our best counselor in training for Daniel. It's the only way for young people with special needs to enjoy the camp experience, but a shortage of volunteers has them worried about this summer season. And a warning about a surprising substance found in some vape juice. Good evening from the north end of the Massey Tunnel, where traffic is moving well in both directions through the tube, but as you can see, there's lots of congestion, and there usually is, northbound on the Steveston Highway off-ramp. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. One of BC's best-known summer camps for children with disabilities and medical challenges is struggling this year with its own labor shortage. As Julie Nolan reports, they need help giving the summer camp experience to kids who would otherwise miss out. Everyone in, let's go! It's the final day of camp at the Zajac Ranch in Mission for these young adults who have a variety of chronic illnesses and disabilities. All right. One of the campers is Daniel McGregor. He is beyond proud to help his new friends. There you go. After a week of activities, it's the last breakfast here before these enthusiastic campers head home. <laughs> They've all made friends. Uh, we have some A-words, and then we have the pick-up party. And these 18 to 40-year-olds have gathered to recognize each other's strengths. Yeah, we have our best counselor in training for Daniel. Everyone here has a moment to shine. I like it because to me it's fun. Yeah, I really like camp. 
It's an incredibly beautiful spot and it seems like a no-brainer for medical volunteers to come here, but that's not always the case and the situation has become critical. We really need support and um, just, just with even little tasks, you know, we need someone to be an extra set of eyes. The camp needs nurses and doctors, ideally five medical volunteers each week of camp who are welcome to bring their own kids with them. There are even special residences built for them when they stay. Having medical professionals here can give caregivers some peace of mind. It also gives the parents an opportunity to maybe have a break. The ranch is also in dire need of camp counselors who help these youth grow and just be themselves. You know, we get to see a lot of that uh, confidence building. My favorite is oranges. I am 24 and I want uh, 24 year old people like me at camp. Daniel is now on track to become a camp counselor himself and to keep inspiring youth like Daniel. The Zajac Ranch is hoping more volunteers and staff will answer their call for help. Julie Nolan, Global News. And in health matters tonight, Fraser Health has issued an emergency alert for Chilliwack about potentially dangerous vape juice. The alert warns about vape juice containing cannabis and suspected synthetic cannabinoids sold in refillable, unmarked and unbranded cartridges. Some of them have tested positive for benzodiazepines. The alert says the side effects include prolonged sedation, nausea, vomiting, and blackouts. Given that this product uh, from the reports appears to be homemade, it's likely unintentional. Uh, and it's possible that these things are made uh, in the same clandestine labs or other areas where uh, the controls wouldn't be that good. So it's possible that even small amounts of these substances could contaminate uh, the vape juice and small amounts can certainly have an effect on someone that doesn't typically take drugs like this. Fraser Health is advising drug users to use with friends if possible. Well, it's not every day you get a grizzly bear in the backyard. How long this one decided to stick around? Coming up. And in sports, no goals, no glory for a Whitecaps player who believes he still has a lot more to give. From the stories that affect us all, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. The first long weekend of summer <laughs> is a warm one. Here's Yvonne with the details. Yeah, it's going to be sunny and dry, and temperatures are really going to start to warm up even for the latter half of the long weekend. I'll have that coming up in just a moment. But it's warm out there. We've got temperatures sitting at 22. Factor in the humidex. Here's a few other spots along the south coast. These are the fields like temperature in Abbotsford at 29. Inland across the island, Port Alberni sitting at 27 degrees. Now the plan as we look ahead towards tomorrow, we've got dry conditions, the sunshine, temperatures anywhere between 20 up to 23 with the humidex it'll feel like 25 degrees the big weather story a ridge of high pressure continues to build across the province and it's into next week Wednesday Thursday that will likely see the peak of the heat some of the hottest temperatures and for the interior it'll continue even in towards our Thursday Friday so a snapshot of the temperature trend and what we're anticipating Wednesday and even in towards our Thursday will be into the low 30s that's away from the water the interior will be very similar and likely even hanging on to some of the heat in towards our Friday 
A reminder, though, the northeastern corners of the province, we've got a smoky skies bulletin. Those with respiratory issues will want to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors. We are looking at this in effect for the next 24 and 48 hours impacted by the smoke across these regions. Also, if you're enjoying the long weekend outdoors, please be very diligent. We've got the fire danger rating sitting anywhere between high to extreme. The island is included within that. Much of the southern interior is sitting at moderate as well, so please be very careful over the long weekend. Now, the northern half of the province, blip in the forecast, a bit of instability, could see the risk of a thunderstorm similar across the central interior. Hot, though, for the southern interior in the coming days. Whistler will bump up to 22. Bit of drizzle for Port Hardy for the morning hours, a clearing towards the afternoon. Away from the water tomorrow, humid except to 25 for a Canada Day. Three days of sunshine and then continuing in towards our Tuesday, Wednesday. One of the warmest days will be on Wednesday with highs up to 31. All right, tonight's weather window, a great shot. This one captured this morning by Rose in Furry Creek. Chris? Forecasts like that, you want to be out on the water. No doubt about it. Thanks very much, Yvonne. All right, check out this incredible encounter with some wildlife in a Kitimat backyard. Resident Danica Furtado says last night around 930, she saw this big grizzly bear in her backyard. The bear was chewing on her dog's bone. Furtado says the bear stayed around for about half an hour, ate some bird seed, and then, as you see, calmly sauntered back out through the gate. Nice it didn't tear down the fence, as these bears often do. She reported the incident to Conservation Officer Service out of precaution. And that's not the only up-close sighting to tell you about. Check out this one in the waters near UBC today. The Vancouver resident who shot this was out at Locarno Beach. Ali Shirazi moved to Vancouver just a few months ago, and he's already experienced what a lot of locals dream of seeing. This orca encounter happened this afternoon. Always beautiful and a treat to see them out in the water. Yes, it's always nice when the Canucks logo shows up in English Bay. <laughs> That's right, in real life. Yeah. That's good. Um, oh, white caps we're talking about now. And there may be white caps in the water there, too. Uh, Sergio Cordova was signed by the white caps to be their number one goal scorer. However, at this moment, he doesn't have any goals. I'm not worried. We had the same thing with Brian White at the beginning of the season. Remember, he was there, he wasn't scoring, and then he started, and now he's already at 10 goals. Well, Cordova's still at zero, but he has had more chances of late, so maybe he just needs a little bit of Brian White's luck. Also tonight, apparently, it's satellite debris. Apparently, I've never been on live television before. going to be some wheeling and dealing in the NHL? Well, I think, it's, I think it's only appropriate that free agency in the NHL falls on Canada Day. <laughs> because we care about it a lot more than they do down in the States. That's so, true. 9 a.m. tomorrow. And uh, today, three players were given qualifying offers by the Vancouver Canucks, or not given qualifying offers by the Vancouver Canucks, I should say, and thus free to go tomorrow, perhaps, in free agency. To no surprise, one of them was defenseman Ethan Bear. Now, the reason is he had shoulder surgery. He'll be out until at least December. Now, the tough thing for Ethan Bear is the Canucks were actually willing to negotiate a new contract during last season, but he didn't want to do that. He wanted to wait until the end of the year. That's always a gamble because there's a potential of injury. Also not getting qualifying offers today were Travis Dermott and Carson Falk. 
Uh, but three players did get offers, so the Canucks can keep their rights. Nils Hoaglander is one of them. He played mostly with Abbotsford last year, but he has played 141 NHL games so far. Just not a consistent NHLer yet. Defenseman Akito Hirose, we saw a bit of him. He got an offer. He looked okay. And forward Vitaly Kravtsov, who was awful and is going to go back and play in Russia. But they're giving him the offer just in case he starts playing better and he wants to come back and Vancouver has his rights. Now, the Canucks will go into free agency tomorrow morning looking for another veteran defenseman and somebody who can play center, preferably on the third line. But when you don't have a ton of money, you got to kind of rely on players in your system to help out, and that's why the Canucks today uh, signed veteran defenseman Noah Juleson to a new two-year, two-way contract. Now, he likes to throw his weight around. Here's an example right there. And that's something Rick Tockett wants to see from his defenseman. So maybe he has a chance to make Vancouver based on that, out of training camp this year. He does have meanness from the blue line. Now, if not, he is a great reserve to have sitting in Abbotsford if there are injuries on the blue line, which, of course, there always are. Well, now that his one-song singing career has come to an end, and he wasn't offered a part in the band, <laughs> Vanny Sartini is back to the day job of getting the Whitecaps ready for a game tomorrow against Sporting Kansas City in KC. And he's also trying to get striker Sergio Cordova to actually do some striking. He was brought in to replace Lucas Cavallini and become the main goal scorer for Vancouver. But he hasn't scored a goal yet, and we're about halfway through the season. So the Whitecaps are starting to get buyer's remorse. Through 13 MLS appearances, Sergio Cordova is still searching for his first goal of the season. But he is starting to make a bigger impact on the pitch. I feel tons of confidence because uh, I feel better physically. And yeah, I hope I can keep helping the team and working as best as possible. In his last three games, he's recorded eight shots and drawn nine fouls, including the penalty that led to the tying goal against Cincinnati. You know, he came in kind of without a preseason, then he picked up that hamstring injury, so he was out for a while, and you know, he needed a bit of time to get his to get his confidence and get his fitness up. But you know, hopefully, this is the start of us um, seeing the best of Sergio. Ryan Gold also went through a scoring drought to start this season. After failing to get a goal in the first 18 games of 2023, he's now scored in each of the last five. So there's still hope that things can turn around quickly for Cordova. And as a designated player on a three-year contract with the club, his time with the Whitecaps will ultimately be judged by the goals he scores. Fans, they have expectation when we sign a DP. And uh, you, can ex you cannot expect uh, fans to know everything that needs and out of what happened here at training so everyone sees a striker and imagine goals immediately. The fans in Salt Lake also had to wait a while before the striker hit his stride with RSL last year. He scored only one goal in his first 11 MLS matches before recording 10 in the next 23. Of course, sometimes things don't work out like you want them to at the start, but I think everything is a process, a process that I'm putting my best into, and I think I don't put too much attention towards the people that may not like me or they don't like the things that I do. No. And that's what's most important for me because I know and I trust in my qualities that sooner rather than later, I'll end up giving a lot of joy to Vancouver.
Now, if Cordova can't score, maybe Levante Johnson can. The Whitecaps are calling him up from their WFC2 squad and giving him an MLS contract so he can play with the big club the rest of the year. He's a Canadian who, like Ali Ahmed, seems to be learning fast. Homegrown players, that's the key for the Whitecaps to have a deeper roster. So this is good news that he's ready for MLS. There you go. Excellent. Thanks very much, Squire. We're back with Satellite Debris next. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, just 13 hours until a strike could shut down BC ports. We're told the two sides are still talking tonight. We'll keep on top of that. Plus, teens behaving badly in West Kelowna. A smash and grab caught on camera. The target, a small business. Find out what was stolen and where the loot ended up. Also hear why youth crime is a growing concern for police in the Okanagan. Also tonight, we've talked a lot about vehicle traffic at Tawasson Terminal, we're hearing the foot passenger line is, quote, insane at this hour. We'll give you an update at 11, Chris. Just add to the challenges yeah. for travelers this weekend. Okay, thanks very much, Jordan. Let's wrap it up with satellite debris, apparently. Very good. Uh-oh. 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 I'm getting dizzy. You're, <laughs> you what happened to me? Wait a minute, where am I? Back to square. Oh, there there he is. Thank you very much. For getting my camera correct. A little whiplash for you yeah. there. Okay. Hope nobody got sick at home. Uh, we're going to start off satellite debris with a couple of uh, commercials from Philadelphia cream cheese. For some reason, Philadelphia cornered the cream cheese market. Here we go. Oh, hey, I'm Phoenix. Today, I'm not only going to train but I'm gonna make my very first cheesecake. Victor hates when I do that. Try not to eat them. I eat it, it's broken. That was pretty easy. My name is Mike Taverna, AKA the bringer of pain. But today, I'm gonna make my very first cheesecake. You don't even know how to turn on an oven, Mike. Dad. Let's get started. First, no. You break the wheel of the graham crackers. Slam it together and make the crust. Next, you bring the pain to the ingredients. Crack out eggs. What feels good? Mike Taverna, bringer of pain, bigger cheesecakes. What better way to celebrate our nation's birth? Ha! Now, there was a reason that Chris used the word apparently at the start of this segment. Now, this is from a number of years ago. I think like... It's old. It, yeah, it's old. It's about Very eight good. years ago. But I saw it and I thought, you know what? Let's bring him back. Let's bring him back. He's probably in his 20s now, but then has kids of his own. But this was a guy named Noah Ritter, a young guy at the time, at a fair in Pennsylvania being interviewed. Watch how many times he says apparently. What did you think about the ride? It was great. And apparently, I've never been on live television before, but apparently sometimes I don't watch the sh I don't watch the news because I'm a kid and apparently every time, apparently Grandpa just gives me a remote after we watch the Powerball. It's the Powerball. <laughs> Tell me about the ride. What did you think about the ride? Well, it was great. Because apparently you're spinning around, and apparently every time you get dizzy, yeah. that's all you do is get dizzy. Is it fun? Yeah. <laughs> and I've never, ever been on live television. I never, ever be on live television. Are you excited? Yeah, and 
Personality went down the super slide. When I went down the water, I was scared half to death. I just freak out. <laughs> I could not get enough of that kid. I know. So I looked, good. Uh, I like to look a lot like my audition tape years ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the last two here, one for Old Spice and an old favorite from, I think, McVittles. Here we go. I have thick-looking hair like this 10 years ago, until two weeks ago. But with the new Old Spice thickening system, it's the way hair used to be. But now... The way hair used to be, but now... And always and forever... And in two weeks, when used as director... McVitie's Chocolate Digestives, the chocolatey snuggle of McVitie's. Sweet. I said McVittles there, it's actually McVitie's. McVitie's. McVitie's? It doesn't matter. McVitie's? I don't know. People, people they look know. delicious. People, yeah, if, yeah, they look delicious, and if you don't like the taste of them, little cats come out of them too. <laughs> There's Very that. Cute. There's that. Anyway, so there you go. Apparently, I'm done. <laughs> All right. Apparently you are. And apparently it's going to be beautiful for Canada Day tomorrow. Yvonne. Apparently we're going to see lots of sun over the next few uh, tomorrow. Yeah, up to 23 away from the water factor in the Humidex will be up to 25 and then even hotter into early next week. Some of the hottest temperatures will be Tuesday through our Thursday away from the water will be into the low 30s. So lots of heat on the way and plenty of sunshine for a long weekend. Sounds great. Happy Canada Day, everybody. We're always thankful for your trust in us. Hope you have a great weekend. And for those Americans in town, happy Independence Day on the 4th.